Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of January 20th, 2020. Later this week, it will be SoxFest, which should be a weekend filled with excitement as fans will be making their way to McCormick Place to meet the new additions. Before the Q&A sessions with Rick Hahn and Ricky Renteria and the new faces like Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel, we answer your guys' questions in P.O. Sox leading up to the event about the topics such as how can the White Sox make up the gap between them and and the Minnesota Twins. We start this week's episode with a topic that much of the sports world is talking about, the Houston Astros cheating scandal and the fallout. Despite the punishments and the firings, there still doesn't feel like baseball has a final resolution on this issue, especially with the hoopla about Jose Altuve's actions after he hit his walk-off home run against Araldis Chapman in the American League Championship Series. Was he wearing a buzzer? Are other players wearing buzzers? Yes, it may seem ridiculous, but as Jack McDowell pointed out on Friday, even teams like the White Sox were using ways to indicate to hitters what pitches were coming at them at Old Comiskey Park. What is the line for teams using technology to give themselves an advantage? And how does baseball move forward from this incident? Well, joining us is a friend of the podcast. You could listen to him Monday through Friday on 670 The Score on the Bernstein and McKnight Show. It's Connor McKnight. And hello, Connor. Thanks for taking the time to come back on the show. Hello, Josh. Always a pleasure. I trust you guys have been keeping a steady ship here over the last couple of months because it's about to get very fun for the White Sox, I think. We hope so. (laughs) After seven straight losing seasons, we hope it'll be a very fun time for the White Sox 
in 2020. But before the 2020 season could even start, uh, we have this uh, drama Mm -hmm. concerning with Major League Baseball. And let's just start with a very broad question first. What are your feelings about the Houston Astros cheating scandal? Well, you know, obviously it hits a baseball fan right in the soul. Um, I think there's a line between cheating and trying. And I don't think the old adage of if you're not cheating, you're not trying is actually true. So I I think as we look back, you know, you mentioned um, Jack McDowell talking about the 80s White Sox and having a, you know, reportedly having a a, a buzzer or a light rather on the old Comiskey centerfield scoreboard. You know, this has been around forever in baseball. I mean, there's tales going back to the 1800s of guys taking, you know, spy glasses off old wooden ships, I assume, and using them to look into the catcher for their signs. But it has always been that using something outside the lines of the game, quite literally, is against the rules. And that exists now, and I'm, I'm kind of a hardliner when it comes to that. I don't think that there's an acceptable place for technology to be used in an in-game setting in the way that we've seen the Astros uh, and, and Red Sox get punished for doing so. I, I think where we're at, though, is a, a somewhat scary place in terms of what technology and artificial intelligence and machine learning is able to do in a sport like baseball. For instance, if you're able as an artificial intelligence programmer to essentially use an entire season's worth or more of sample size and come up with algorithms that essentially divine what pitch is coming next, next season and the season after that or the at-bat after that, then I think we've gone too far. It's no longer a game being played in between the years of our favorite players. This is something more than that. I think it's going to be very difficult for baseball fans over the next couple of years to differentiate between the progress that the Houston Astros and other clubs made in using Rapsodo and Edutronic cameras um, in terms of player development, pitch grip development, uh, pitch depth and tumble and spin rate, all these kinds of things, and, and how they've advanced that and splitting that apart from how they perverted that kind of technology into the actual cheating that we've seen them punished for. So I, I think there's a lot of heavy lifting for baseball fans to do here. And I'm even more concerned that the front office of Major League Baseball is not equipped and not ready to help do some of that lifting for baseball fans. Up until Friday and, and even ongoing, it has been the effort, it seems to me, of Major League Baseball and Commissioner Rob Manford to try and silo these issues as just things that the Astros and subsequently the Red Sox with Alex Cora as their manager tried to do. This seems to be much more pervasive than that. It seems to be much more, it seems to involve many more teams than just those two, and perhaps many more third parties that are, that are also helping this illegal, this cheating endeavor. And I think that's a really difficult place for baseball to be in. I worry very much about the hand at the tiller there. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The league is behind the teams when it comes to, Technology. As a matter of fact, you can go to the Houston Astros job board and you can see that some of the types of jobs that they want to hire, and one of them is an actual machine learning analyst mm-hmm. to help set up and program their machine learning, which I'm sure are the video cameras they have out in center field to look at all the video and record all that data and <laughs> just make as far as analysis 
off that type of footage for probably not only their players, but other players in the league. So we'll see if the Houston Astros continue to work through that, uh, depending on who will be their new general manager. But it's just not the Astros. The Dodgers were hiring people like that. The Red Sox, the Yankees. That's where the league is moving to. But I do agree with you. I think the teams are ahead of the league right now, and the league doesn't know how to handle that. Now, back to the league. There, I think there's a trust issue right now with Major League Baseball. And let's say the, the media and fans, the, the people who take in the game, uh, starting with the buzzers. When Major League Baseball says they have no evidence to suggest that Houston Astros players were wearing devices or buzzers to indicate what pitches were coming, do you trust Major League Baseball with that statement? I don't, but I wouldn't trust Major League Baseball if they said my mother loved me. I'd have to check that out too. <laughs> you know, like I, I just they they have not handled their business properly, Josh. I mean, look, we we talked back in the day about the baseball when it was either expanding, contracting, yeah. or creating more drag through the air or not. I mean, they haven't come clean properly. Well, I shouldn't say come clean in that necessary regard, but they they haven't offered a a, a reasonable explanation or even a solution to the issues that are clear and evident in terms of the baseball. So I have no reason to believe that they, uh, that their investigation has been thorough enough to determine whether or not there are extra buzzers being put into Jose Altuve's shoes. I have, I have no clue, you know, and, and that's the problem that baseball leaves itself in when they're doing these investigations the way they have and releasing the information the way they have, they're making, they're making skeptics. They're, they're literally making skeptics with the way they're divulging this information and not conducting a thorough investigation. And that's not a good place to be when you have a fan base that is aging and in a lot of spots declining. You have a game that's getting too long. I mean, baseball is the first entity to tell you that their game is screwed up and they're trying to fix it in terms of just a watchability standpoint. How then am I going to get more people invested in watching the game if also you're telling me that the home runs that you're seeing, the sliders that you're seeing, all of this stuff, it can't be believed because we've got Skynet helping out players. It's, it's a really tough place for the league to be. And, and they seem, I mean, without some sort of massive course reversal here, they, they seem set on it. They seem absolutely adamant that this will be good enough. And I promise you it will not be. So I take it you do have concerns about the on-field product moving forward because that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, we're going to this 2020 season, and I still can't trust the baseball. We have no idea on what the baseball is going to be like. We won't know until the first half of the season's already over, and you've already played a huge chunk of the season and how that will impact the White Sox and other teams. But now you can't even trust the other teams and especially when your team is on the road and it seems that players right now can't trust one another. Mm -hmm. So do you have concerns about the on-field product for baseball moving forward? I I do. Yeah, I really do. And I I think we kind of saw, we saw some of it through the lens of Twitter uh, on Thursday afternoon, as we saw all these pictures of, you know, potential buzzers and Josh Reddick and his, you know, Super Saiyan onesie and whether it was confetti or whether it was some sort of buzzer taped onto his chest. And I mean, people are circling every wrinkle in the jersey to determine, to, to figure out whether or not there's a buzzer. And I, and that's setting players off. You know, I mean, even Mike Trout was dragged into this um, in, a, in, in a way that may, that was probably not fair and probably not true, but it's just going to leave baseball players, you know, all of, most of whom are like 22 to 25 
with not a lot of common sense, because let's be honest, you have to be a little bit crazy to play this game at an elite level. And, and now you've got a guy like Mike Clevenger that wants to go hunt for frontier justice and throw 96 mile an hour fastballs at guys he thinks he was he caught cheating. Yeah, I, I baseball is I, I fear that we are posed or poised rather to to watch a season explode out of control, out of baseball's control because of of the arms race between these teams. I, I think the techno technology over the last ten years has been fascinating to watch develop and, and watch develop players too, right? And and it's made the game mm-hmm. better. Uh, in terms of its efficiency, but I don't know that it's necessarily made it better to watch. It has made it better for fans to evaluate when you haven't played it at a, at a, at a top tier level. Um, you know, or you got cut from your JV team or whatever. It's like, here's a whole list of things that you can look for to feel closer to the game. And that's awesome. But I, I in, in a lot of ways that, you know, an arms race goes, the, the cheaters are always going to be a step ahead of those trying to catch them. Um, by the very nature of the race, right? And, and if you think that you're che- if you think that this guy's cheating, um, just to get ahead, then you're going to do something to even up with him. And you won't think it's cheating. You just think you're trying to even the odds. Um, mm-hmm. So we're in this circle now, I think, where I, I don't know a lot of players who who might take this into their own hands. And I think we I think we really risk a, a, a very explosive first couple of weeks of this game if, if Rob Manford can't settle people down. By the way, the Houston Astros play at the Bronx in September, late September. You'll want to circle those games because I'm sure it'll be very interesting, especially if both teams are in postseason contention, which I think a lot of people do think both teams will be in the American League this year. One thing that I, I'm coming out of this, Connor, I, I'm grasping at straws on how baseball moves forward with what has transpired with this scandal and how mm-hmm. they thought they quashed it right with the firings and the suspensions uh, that have taken place, but no, it, it still lives. Do you have any ideas on how baseball can move forward from this cheating scandal? I do Josh. And I, you know, I, I can't pretend that I know that these things will fix everything at hand because I don't have the research that major league baseball one, I'm probably not smart enough. And two, I don't have the research that baseball itself has done, but I would start with a couple of things. I I would make it very clear if I were baseball to everyone, to the general public and the teams themselves, that this is now on you. If you run an organization and anybody is caught cheating, it's on everybody in that organization. You know, ownerships are at stake management is at stake, coaches are at stake, and players are at stake. I understand that a certain degree of anonymity had to be granted in order to get the initial findings of this stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. but amnesty is over, and now players probably need to be punished going forward in, in some way, shape, or form, and that's going to be real hairy with Major League Baseball's Players Association as we get closer and closer to the CBA, but I think it might have to be done. Um, secondly, secondly, I would get rid of the manager's review, the manager's challenge. Hmm. that whole process has, has gotten very little into baseball. It's not been used properly in a lot of cases. In many cases, in late innings, managers are asking for extra challenges, and sometimes you get them, and sometimes you don't. And if you're the Yankees, you do. And if you're the A's, you do. All this kind of, you know, it's just the, the pros haven't outweighed the cons. And unfortunately, what that has done is brought another set of replay technology, monitors and cameras, um, into and closer to the clubhouse. 
these are the cameras that have been used and abused. These are the cameras that relay in real time the information to guys like Carlos Beltran so they can go find a trash can to bang on. This is the issue. There has not been enough going for it. And I think you need to strip back some of the technological advancement available to the teams in real time. I hate to be in that spot, but I also think, you know, the, the, the con to that or the contrary argument to that is, well, you have to monitor these things or you have to add an earpiece between the catcher and the pitcher. That will be hacked. That will be listened in on. Mm-hmm. That will be manipulated by the teams. I mean, look no further than, than Foxborough, right? Somehow, every NFL team that goes in to play the Patriots has their headset go out at some point in the third quarter. Well, I don't know how it happens, but it just happens when you go to New England, right? I, mm-hmm. And I, This has been going on for years. And, and if you think baseball teams won't take advantage of something similarly, I, I think you're missing the boat. So um, those are two things that I would start with. Um, and, and I think another piece of this is going to have to be, you know, maybe um, internal investigations by teams themselves. And these could very well be underway. Baseball could have already given some sort of silent edict. That kind of sounds like a Rob Manfred thing to do. He loves his double secret probations, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he so does. he'll, he'll issue it to teams and have them and have him do some sort of stuff and make him feel important or what have you. But maybe there's some good to come out of those things too. Back to the replay. Would you be in favor of having a similar setup like college football where you have a fifth umpire that's in the press box for every single game and they decide when it's time to go to replay? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Eye in the sky, I think is the way to go. I think that's the way to go in the NFL and college football. Like you said, I, I think that's, a very reasonable fix. Now, Connor will be joining us at the Sox Fest after party Friday, January 24th at Reggie's to discuss the White Sox offseason activities and True. give our predictions for the upcoming 2020 season. Uh, Jim and I said last week that we thought the White Sox were done making any more significant moves this offseason. Do you feel the same way, Connor? Or do you feel like the White Sox and Rick Hahn has a, another move up his sleeve? I, I do. Yeah, you know what? Let me ask you real quick. At Reggie's, the, the after party for Soxhead, is it true that James Fegan will be singing selected Frank Sinatra numbers all night long for people? It depends on how much money is laid down on the table. The man has a price, bring, Connor. That, I, that's fine. I'm willing to pay it because if he's going to do Sinatra, I am there. I am. I would. I would say a word. I'll just watch him do my life, my way. That, that's fantastic. I, I guess I. I do think they're done. Um, I, I wouldn't be all that surprised if they, you know, kind of, kind of like a flip of Steel Walker or something like that. Like, like the prospects that you realize have kind of outaged the development curve that the rest of the bulk are on um, to, to maybe identify a couple of flyers that you could take. You know, I, I don't love Nomar Mazzara and, and the addition that, that he is to this team, it's certainly better than what the White Sox have been trotting out there in right field the last handful of years as is, and that's even including the years that Avi Garcia had, save one, right? But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like, I, I'd call it like a house cleaning kind of maneuver or something like that, maybe some depth in AAA that could eventually get called up at some point um, this season and, and maybe help Rick Renneria's bullpen, something like that. But I, I think the major expenditures are, 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 are likely done. Are you happy with the activity that the White Sox front office had this off season? I, I am. Um, there are some issues. Uh, I were, I'm a worrier by nature. I think 12 years cap in school does that to people, but I, <laughs> the, the defense 
the defense is a worry for me, especially in both corners uh, of the outfield. I, I do not love tasking Luis Robert to go cover all that ground in a rookie season. And, oh, by the way, like I'm sure he will at times this year, hit lead off and, oh, you know, be the captain of the, uh, the outfield like that. Um, still, I've seen that guy play. <laughs> I've watched him a little bit in, in spring training on the backfields. That is a supremely talented human being. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what major league breaking balls do to him. And I'm sure he'll have his struggles offensively. But my goodness, uh, I, I can think of a few other players that I'd like to see develop and, and given that task. Um, I guess overall, I, I am happy. I would have liked to see Zach Wheeler, but you don't get to pick them all. Um, and I think you can do a lot worse than Dallas Keuchel. I do think questions about Keuchel's past with the Astros are fair. Um, I think, though, that with his control and what he's been able to do in terms of walks to strikeouts or strikeouts to walks, I should say, and even though those numbers have you know, gone iffy a little bit in the last two seasons, uh, c- considering his relative norms, um, I-, I think you've got a guy there that stabilizes a rotation it would have been – I mean, I just can't imagine handing all the innings that a, that a season is going to ask out of all those young guys all coming back from some injury or another, right? I, mean, I think that would have been a, a real bad move. And signing Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez to, to it, at the very least, soak up some of those innings so that you've got free and clear development for, for some of the younger pitchers is, was a necessity. Finally, I'm going to lift a question from the Effectively Wild podcast in which Ben Lindenberg I love that podcast. and Sam Miller, I do too, uh, they got a question from, I believe it was a Cubs fan. And the question is about the media coverage of the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox this offseason. And as someone that is paid to talk about both, I'd love to get your insight about the White Sox are getting – positive media attention for the activity that they have made this off season to go from a $50 million payroll after the 2019 season. And they have spent, they've added $75 million in contracts for this season alone. So they're going to be hovering around $125 million payroll. And there are media outlets and analysts that think that they could be a dark horse contender in the American league central on the flip side, you have the Chicago Cubs who are not spending any money this off season. They are entertaining the idea of moving Chris Bryant. However, they still have a payroll that's hovering around $200 million. And they have made some huge investments that the White Sox have never made uh, in the last few years to have this great competitive window that they opened since 2015. So why are we talking about the White Sox in such a positive light and the Cubs in such a negative light during this offseason? I think it's because of expectations. I I think while spending money in baseball is something that you can either applaud or kind of decry, depending on who they sign and what you like about that guy and how he fits your team, it's the expectations that get set, right? Um, You know, the White Sox, and I'll scream this until the end of time, the White Sox could have done everything they did this offseason and signed Manny Machado to the $335 million contract last offseason and still been financially just fine. Thank you very much. They absolutely mm-hmm. could have spent those, that money, but had they signed Manny Machado, and I'm not saying this is why they didn't do it or, or gave the offer they did, but had they signed Manny Machado, the expectations go up. And when you don't meet expectations in sports, in baseball specifically, then 
the the actions that you take contrary to those ex, those expectations. You know, the Cubs keep saying we can win a World Series. Hell, David Ross said today, uh, today's the first day of you know Cubs convention, that he expects his team to be one that can contend for a World Series. I'd love to see that happen. I go ahead, show me, because they spent all offseason doing things that World Series winning teams don't usually do. So, you know, I, I think for the White Sox, hopefully that time comes. That time comes where you're looking at expectations and going, boys, it's, it's time to win 95 games. It's time to get out of the divisional round. It's time to get to a pennant. Um, and I, I think that that time comes for most teams. Hopefully it's, it's as they're on, you know, the upswing and whatnot. I, I think it's about, you know, this, the money is – Money is so nothing sometimes in baseball, right? I mean, you look at the contract that, um, that you Darvish signed. He's getting paid, I don't know, 20, 22 a year or something like that. It was a gigantic overpay when they signed him, and now $20 million for that guy is a bargain. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way contracts blow out of proportion here, I think it's much more about how a team sells itself and the expectations it puts on themselves and it accepts from their fans that set that kind of coverage rather than the actual dollar amount. Well, again, Connor will be joining us at Reggie's for the Sox Fest after party, along with James Fegan, who is going to be doing some uh, Sinatra for us after the panel. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, along with W. That's great news. That's great news. <laughs> I didn't know about that. That's wonderful. And uh, we'll speak it into existence. And uh, of course, WGN's Kevin Powell will be joining us as well. It'll be a very fun time. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to meeting you guys as well uh, at Reggie's for the Sox Fest after party. And you can follow Connor on Twitter. He's at C1 McKnight, and you can listen to him weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central Time on the Bernstein and McKnight Show or on the Radio.com app. And, Connor, absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for the conversation about what's going on and try to speak some sense uh, with the cheating scandal and all the issues with Major League Baseball. And, again, thank you for coming on the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you, Josh. Truly appreciate it. And Sox Machine listeners, just remember, uh, at Reggie. Put everything on Kevin Powell's tab. He's got you all night long. This spring, follow the Chicago White Sox down to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. With 10 stadiums and 15 Major League Baseball teams playing in 75-degree weather, all within 50 miles of Greater Phoenix, Arizona is a -a one-of-a-kind spring training experience. And there's just more to Arizona than baseball. There's so much to see and do. You can enjoy live music from local and national artists. You can check out amazing restaurants and bars nearby. There's a lot of craft breweries around the Phoenix area now, like Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, and Goldwater Brewing Company. And if you love being in the outdoors, Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling adventures. Hiking, biking, Jeep tours, hot air balloons, skydiving, jet skiing, taking in a sunset, or driving out to the desert and seeing the stars. No matter what you do, Arizona has you covered. And if you're thinking about going... When your kids have spring break, bring the kids along to spring training as Arizona is a fantastic destination for families. They have family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages with water parks, horseback rides, and other games and activities. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash training. Again, that's visitarizona.com slash training. 
When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Joining me now on the Sox Machine podcast is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We just finished getting Connor McKnight's thoughts about baseball's cheating scandal. What are your thoughts about what happened down in Houston, the firings that resulted from Major League Baseball's punishment, and the commissioner's office handling this issue? It's a mess. And uh, I, I think the the strange thing, and, and perhaps we haven't seen this in a while, is that we're seeing anger from both owners, or at least you know people at the team president level, uh, anger amongst, amongst clubs between front offices maybe, and also uh, anger at the player level um, between players. Usually we've seen it kind of tilted a little bit uh, in, in which the players are angry, like say with, uh, with uh, PED testing. Uh, that's one where the players came down a lot harder on each other and the owners you know didn't really have anything to say about it and uh, same thing with free agency the uh, you know the players were unhappy but the owners basically kept their mouth shut so when it came to a- accusations about collusion this seems to be one case where both front offices and players are united against the uh, wrongdoers and demanding a little bit more action or at least murmurs of it I know uh, Jeff Passan had a story in ESPN about how Rob Manfred's basically tried to put a clamp down on official comments from front offices saying that the punishment for speaking would be worse than maybe what the uh, Astros got for uh, cheating. But yeah, it's uh, I, I think the repercussions are really going to ring out and for for months and months. And the Astros right now are trying to shape it, you know, looking at their the reaction at their fan fest, like Altuve and Bregman seems like, you know, they're going to try to shape it as overcoming adversity and and this is just you know an obstacle that people doubted us people said we're going to do it and that's going to be pretty annoying if the Astros happen to be good and uh, still get to the deep in the postseason even with this hanging over their heads but it's a scar and it's going to last and uh, I don't uh, yeah I I don't know how people are going to talk around it or how it's going to be um, yeah, what kind of policing is going to need to be done I I really don't know how this is going to look like say in May and the again, the White Sox have Sox Fest this upcoming weekend. The Houston Astros had their fan convention this past weekend, and there is zero remorse from the Houston Astros whenever their players were talking about what happened and what ultimately happened uh, with the GM and manager getting fired, uh, especially Alex Bregman and Jose Otuve, who are really in the spotlight now with this cheating scandal. Uh, no remorse from those two. I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked uh, that Astros players aren't showing that type of remorse of what had happened. And, and I don't think they're ever going to apologize for cheating, Jim, during the games because I guess in a way they'll be confirming or fessing up that they did, but Major League Baseball already determined that they did. So it's kind of a really odd situation. But, yeah. the, but the question that I asked for Connor, and, and he had – a couple of thoughts as far as on how baseball can move forward, and that's getting rid of the replay review and coming up with some communication devices between the catcher and pitcher. But how does baseball move forward heading into the 2020 season with this scar, as you mentioned, 
on them from this cheating scandal. Yeah, I don't, you know, like thinking about the replay system and, and going back to the advent of replay and, and the whole challenge system and the challenge system never made as much sense as having a fifth umpire, an eye in the sky type uh, deal where uh, you know, they say like, hey, hold up a bit. Let me just check this real quick. All right, play on uh, that kind of deal. Like, and uh, in, in, I'm not sure whether it's because they didn't want to add an umpire who could overrule the umpires on the ground. Maybe there's some kind of, uh, yeah, I guess, issue with that, or maybe there's just, uh, you know, having to train a whole bunch of new umpires and then away. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Maybe just the challenge system is seen as successful in the other sports. Don't quite get it, but it always seemed like, uh, you know, the challenge system was odd and interrupted the pace of play and the rhythm of the game, I should say, more than the pace of play. Uh, and, then, and now we're seeing that, uh, you know, having these uh, unpoliced rooms where, you know, hitters can go in and, uh, you know, check in both camera feeds, both legal and illicit. And it seems like uh, that's something worth reconsidering, like seeing this, um, you know, these consequences that nobody foresaw. Uh, probably good, I, uh, you know, I think a good reason to go back to the drawing board and think about replay altogether and think about whether the challenge system needs to be scrapped or... Uh, you know, maybe just overruled entirely. I, I still think that ultimately it's going to be a fifth umpire who, uh, you know, kind of corrects the record if need be with an eraser a little bit. That's going to be my guess. But yeah, I think for the season, I don't quite know. Like I just, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't know what it's going to look like in May and June. I don't think they can, you know, I guess revise the system as much aside from policing, like say camera placements, every series or having, uh, you know, having the, uh, you know, an officer or some kind of, uh, uh, security figure from the league standing outside of replay rooms and, you know, policing tunnels more than they ever have before. That might be necessary, but I think those are going to be more temporary measures and something more, I guess, dramatic is going to have to be done, I guess, when it's over the course of the whole off season and the owners and general managers can meet on it and the competition committee can float some ideas or maybe test it at lower levels. But yeah, it's going to be, uh, I, I think there's a greater reckoning that the league has to admit, and maybe they're just trying to keep it all under wraps until they can make this greater revision. But I don't know if players and maybe even uh, people in the front offices are really going to allow it to be that peaceful. Well, it's just another storyline going to 2020. The Houston Astros now becoming the villains of Major League Baseball. Wherever they go on the road, they are going to get booed and they are going to be made fun of. Um, from this cheating scandal and the players themselves, uh, I really wonder in how opposing pitchers are going to handle Astros hitters, especially early in 2020. There are some wondering, Jim, if the Houston Astros are going to set a new Major League Baseball record for most hit by pitches in a single season. I don't know if he'll get that far, but it's pretty clear that the players themselves are very upset what has happened down in Houston. The Astros players are showing no remorse. We have the Astros, the Mets, and the Red Sox trying to hire managers within a month of pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training. The Astros have to find a new general manager. There's a lot going on for Major League Baseball yeah. at the moment. Yeah, and uh, one thing I'm curious about is uh, is Dallas Keuchel you know, going to SoxFest and haven't really heard him talk about it and he was there in 2017 
2018 and just uh, I, I saw a tweet resurface in my feed about Lance McCullers from 2018 saying that uh, that you can't uh, crack down on mountain visits because they have to have complicated signs because people have cameras uh, uh, yeah, reading the signs and, and, and you know kind of I guess uh, projecting what the Astros were doing onto other teams or maybe thinking maybe everybody in the Astros or in, in the clubhouse was told that they're doing these things because other te teams are doing it to them. And there maybe are some other teams involved with something similar, but I, I don't think it's an entirely league-wide uh, phenomenon. I imagine it's limited to, I would say, uh, at least a minority of clubs. Uh, and so I'm curious whether this will come up with Keuchel at all uh, when he's got a couple days in Chicago to talk about it. Now back to the Chicago White Sox. They did make a couple of signings this week. A couple of players to minor league contracts, something we discussed last week on the podcast, a right-handed pitcher, Brian Mitchell, and utility player, Andrew Romine. Romine does have a clause that his salary would increase to $900,000 if he does reach the major leagues in 2020. These are pretty minor signings. Again, the White Sox need players to play in Charlotte in 2020. Uh, they kind of lack depth right now to fill out a AAA roster so Romine and Mitchell will, would help in that regard but Jim do White Sox fans need to worry about Mitchell or Romine earning a spot after spring training on the 26-man roster no <laughs> it's uh I, I think these are just leaking out a little bit in in advance of the White Sox spring training on roster invitee list and probably you know I think Ken Rosenthal um, had the Mitchell one and, and John Heyman had the Romine one and I imagine that's something along the lines of talking to agents about other things and it comes up or maybe they get a press release or something and they just tweet it out. You know, not worth a story, but just information to share because it is technically news, even if it's very, uh, <laughs> very low level news. But I'm kind of fascinated by Mitchell just because I was looking up his numbers um, and he's got like the, these uh, strikeout to walk numbers that are basically like from the 1980s or 1970s <laughs> uh, for his career. Like uh uh, or at least last three years, his rookie season with the Yankees wasn't terrible, just a lot of walks. But last three years, uh, 100 and, and, and I should say the last three years he's in the majors. He didn't make it to the majors in 2019, 2016 through 2018. 130 innings, 68 walks, 66 strikeouts. Is that good? <laughs> but yeah, just like it reminds me, that's the kind of numbers you used to see like when you looked at like the say like early 80s baseball. Just way more walks than you see nowadays. Way fewer strikeouts, way more balls in play. Uh, yeah, so I just I was looking to see if there's anything there, like Wild Arm, because I vaguely remember the name, but don't really remember anything about him. Nothing really stands out. And looking at the minor league numbers from last year, nothing really stands out. So, yeah, it just seems along the lines of just depth and uh, maybe an arm they liked in the past. Romine, you know, they've seen the division a little bit and mm -hmm. just need infielders, basically. Yes. Again, players need to play in Charlotte. So yep. I'm counting on Mitchell and Romine to be part of the Charlotte Knights roster in 2020, now playing under manager Wes Helms for the Charlotte Knights in 2020. But that's the White Sox activity, and of course that's the major news surrounding Major League Baseball with the cheating scandal, which you guys had a lot of questions regarding the White Sox, and we're going to tackle those next in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. 
Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks. We submitted questions to us via Twitter at Socks Machine. But in this particular episode, all the questions that we're answering are coming from our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much for your support in which you can help support Socks Machine at Patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And the first question that we have, Jim, from, from the mailbag comes from Alex Rude. And Alex is asking, if you are Rick Hahn, when next winter rolls around, which of the following would you prioritize? Signing a George Springer or Mookie Betts type free agent or extending Yoan Makata, assuming no major regression from Makata? Well, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I guess that's the cop-out answer is that they're not mutually exclusive and that uh, you know, Mankata extension theoretically makes it possible to carry both and not dedicate like an, an uncomfortable amount of the payroll to them uh, because you would figure that any years of free agency they buy out would be for less than maybe they would earn on the open market uh, getting there. But in this case, uh, if you had to pick one, uh, I would say going for Mookie Betts would be the priority just because you think with, with uh, Mankata after the season be entering arbitration as three years left of uh, service time before he reaches free agency and if the White Sox ever want to be a team that can have both of those players on the roster for signed at market rate or close to it uh, having a guy like Mookie Betts or, or George Springer fill in right field uh, while Moncada and Giolito and Eloy and Robert and a bunch of, you know, of these other guys are playing for well less than their uh, market value would be uh, the way to do it. You know, having Betts come in, you know, say like Nomar Mazzara is who we think he is or who uh, his uh, baseballreference.com page says he is, uh, like a sub-two player. Betts comes in, you know, still an all-star, uh, five to six wins above replacement, that kind of level of play, throw them in there. And then all of a sudden, you know, the White Sox probably project to 90 wins or thereabouts. And if they can tie together a couple of postseason appearances in a row, then you have $150 million payroll is nothing special. Uh, you can maybe be talking about 170, 180. And, you know, then all of a sudden you're not really worried about uh, one big contract anymore. So I think that's really uh, what the White Sox need to do. And I think, I'm hoping, based on Rick Hahn's comments to uh, uh, James Fegan in his uh, athletic piece, that they're kind of done spending for now, at least uh, in, in big ways. Going to see some some maybe minor additions, but I don't think they're going to get to 130 million dollars this uh, uh, before opening day. But they're kind of using this as a stepping stone and, and seeing future acquisition periods, whether it's deadlines, uh, uh, off season, uh, the 2021-22 off season. Uh, they're looking to keep adding, you know, kind of a, a stepladder approach to raising their payroll. So if that's the case, then, uh, you know, they, they do have some room to spend. And, you know, maybe it's, I still think it's outlandish to expect them to land somebody along the lines of Betts or Springer. But I think uh, at the very least, Han isn't ruling it out with the, with, I guess, his comments and how he expects the payroll to go. And, and speaking of Springer, he's a guy I think is going to be, uh, a lot of people are going to be watching him just to see if there's any difference in his numbers based on uh, this whole Astros fallout. Looking at his home and road splits, uh, last year he evened him up. I was kind of hoping or maybe uh, wondering if uh, there would be some massive disparity between strikeout rates home and away because uh, cutting down his strikeout rate was really just how he became the player he is. Uh, and, and nobody expected him to cut his strikeout, strikeout rate that dramatically. 
And while there was an advantage uh, home to away uh, in 2017 and 2018, it's pretty even now. So uh, I guess I wouldn't expect them to have any kind of major step back, but I think uh, there will be some... Uh, some players might have a hard time dealing with this, you know, I guess either the scrutiny or the changes or just being hated. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine taking some kind of emotional toll. I just don't, don't think it can be predicted and applied evenly across the board. And something to consider, George Springer did sign a one-year deal with Houston to avoid going to court or mediation, let's call it, between he and the Astros for $21 million plus incentives so if you're trying to play mock GM and try to figure out how much it's going to cost to sign George Springer, you know that the the very floor is going to be at least $21 million next year because I'm sure he's looking for at least that or more heading to free agency next year. So Springer could be someone that's 25 maybe even $30 million per season, even though he is going to be around 30 years old, I believe, or even 31 um, next season when he becomes an official free agent. So, Alex, terrific question. Uh, follow question. Did you check out Yohan Makata's new sleeve tattoo that he has on his left arm? I, I did not. Yeah, he's got it. He's tatted up now. He's got a whole sleeve. Looks nice. Not for me. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to look a little bit different. Yohan Makata's going to look a little bit different this year. In 2020, uh, hopefully it, he will still be successful. Uh, but yeah, a new look for Yohan Makata heading into the season. So Alex, thank you so much for your question. Our, I'm looking it up right now. Awesome. Uh, while you do that, Andrew Siegel asked us a question. And Andrew's asking, on paper, how likely is it for the White Sox to either overcome the Twins to win the Central or win a wildcard berth? What could increase the likelihood of either? Well, right now, if you look at fan graphs uh, and uh, the projections there, White Sox are about seven wins behind uh, on, uh, I would say, from the Twins, and then the Indians are in between. Uh, so I think it's like three and a half wins. Basically, Indians are right in between the Twins and White Sox for how they project. Problem is that there are eight teams in the American League that project better than the White Sox, so you have to think division... I don't, I don't think the wild card can be there because you have the uh, A's and the Rays and the Angels and the Red Sox, even though the Red Sox are kind of shooting themselves in the foot or really not acting like they want to go over the luxury tax at all. They might be forced into it, and they still project pretty well. So uh, while they haven't added, they still are deep enough to look like they can clear 90 wins with relative ease as long as any kind of uh, turmoil from the Alex Cora firing and so forth, the investigation um, doesn't take any further toll on their depth chart. But uh, really, when you look at the, the White Sox projections across the board, um, and I brought up Nomar Mazzara for this reason, you know, he's the only one who really projects to be below two wins, you know, which is really kind of the average starter benchmark, two wins above replacement. He's the only one who projects to be below that among players who won't be, you know, battling their rookie seasons, learning the league, uh, you know, the, the the learning curve, everything like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have Nick Madrigal and Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech and so on and so forth who uh, you know, are coming up short right now in projections to really help the team, you know, be as strong on paper as they might be if everybody hits their, uh, well, maybe not best case scenario, but I would say like upper quarter scenario. Uh, so, uh, Mazzara is the one guy who just might 
be limited no matter his strengths his flaws might always be greater than his strengths and maybe knock him down but you know when you look at what the White Sox tried out in right field last year and given his second half performance that was pretty good around an oblique injury uh, sample size is a little small but there's a reason to think that maybe there's some improvement there not a bad guy to run out there uh not uh, you're gonna learn something either way and he's better than like Daniel Polk and John Jay and so forth but it's just uh you know and that's what limits the White Sox upside. So I think when you look at trying to improve on paper, they really, assuming no further signings that just uh, really boost up the rotation depth or bullpen depth, and I don't think there are any guys out there who do that, uh, it's really going to be about uh, having to beat the paper projections and uh, just uh, hope that either you know guys like Edwin Encarnacion hold their own when it comes to projections, same thing Jose Abreu, uh, and then... Guys like Robert don't underperform theirs. Guys like Cease don't underperform. Then guy like Mazzara breaking out, Nick Magical being a little bit better than the one point something uh, win guy he's supposed to be. So it's just going to take a lot of, uh, I guess, quote unquote, overperformances, ones that might be uh, conservative. But, you know, still, there's a reason why projections are conservative, because uh, that's what their history says. That's what their injury track record has limited them to. That's what... uh, uh, rookies usually do all that kind of stuff that that factors into these formulas um so yeah it's gonna they're gonna have to beat projections and i think at this point uh there's a reason to believe they can you know it's uh you wouldn't bet you wouldn't bet a whole lot of money on it but it's at least uh there's there's logic behind what the white Sox have done did you see you on makata's sleeve yeah it's uh then i then I realized like oh yeah like he you know he plays with the sleeve a lot anyway so uh you might not notice it oh, all that much. that's a good so. point. That's a good point. He really does. So, yeah, we may not see it often. He's got the compression sleeve, the armor, etc. So, yeah, just... Yep. Well, that's a shame. I don't know. I think it looks cool. Again, I'm not tough enough to get a tattoo sleeve. I know you are, Jim. And I know you're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I, I don't like anything stylistically enough. Like, I don't think I would, any tattoo I got, I would like for more got than five it. years. <laughs> we'll just do temporary tattoos. How about that? That way we can wash them off yeah. when we get sick of them. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about all I, uh, all I can, uh, yeah, just, it's, I, I look at, yeah, you know, I, I, I look at the tattoos, especially like, say, like neck tattoos and things you can't really hide. Uh, and just wonder, like, I admire people who can commit to aesthetics like that. I think I like changing got too it. much. Well, thank you so much for your question, Andrew. Our next question comes from Trooper Galactus. And Trooper is kind of following up on the White Sox being a fringe contender. And his question is, the White Sox look like a fringe contender and should be doing every small thing possible to max out their chances to make the postseason. Aside from starting Nick Magical on opening day and maybe bunting a lot less, what are some other things they can do between the margins to squeeze out some extra wins from this roster? Well, it's going to be difficult. Like, there are no easy solutions just because you have a lot of rookies on the roster. so Or at least, like, guys uh, who are maybe in their second year but still trying to establish who they are going to be in the majors. Like, I'm thinking, like, say, Eloy Jimenez in left field. If you're thinking about uh, trying to put on the best possible defense with late-inning leads... Uh, then maybe think about you know, having him in left field very seldom when the White Sox are leading in a- after the seventh inning. But on the other hand, if you think he can be better in left field and you want to 
uh, see if he can earn your trust. You might want to put him out there, even if he's going to take a conservative route or two and let a ball drop in that other left fielders would catch. Same thing with like Dylan Cease and uh, Michael Kopech. Like Cease, for instance, you know, if he's uh, somebody who has efficiency issues or has some issues with times through the order, you know, if you're trying to win every single game possible, you might put him on a Jake Odorizzi plan to where he very seldom pitches past the uh, sixth inning just because uh, he doesn't do very well against uh, hitters third time through. On the other hand, if you want uh, Cease to learn and try to, I, I guess, work deeper into games, regardless of pitch count or regardless of uh, what his numbers early in his career are, maybe you do risk having him take some lumps just to try to get him to break through the wall. I remember that being a big thing with John Garland. Uh, with John Garland under Jerry Manuel versus John Garland under Ozzie Guillen, uh, Guillen was a lot... Uh, uh, I, I guess he was willing to let Garland get himself in trouble and see if he could get out of it. And ultimately, it was very good for his career, turn him into a 200-inning-a-year pitcher. Uh, whereas Manuel tried to, I guess, uh, baby him through it, or at least uh, tried to get the bullpen to win the game for him. And, uh, you know, it's a strategy. It's just uh, when mm -hmm. you're in the development game, you know, you might want to see that guy risk having a bad sixth inning just to see if he can eventually get through that. So there's that as well. So when you look at the ways they can, uh, you know, try to get these marginal wins, it's, I guess, you know, having the best defense out there, which, you know, Alloy aside, you know, maybe Mazzara two and right, they might be limited in how much they can upgrade the outfield. Uh, and then uh, the other thing is, you know, say how the rotation shapes up. Right now they have five starters, six starters. Uh, Gio Gonzalez right now holding down that spot before Kopech shows he can uh, handle the ball every five days. Uh, but one thing, yeah, I guess the one missed opportunity from last year was not really doing anything with the opener, even though they had all those problems getting starters to, uh, you know, last uh, multiple starts, like, you know, throwing deeper than uh, four innings like Covey and Detweiler and so forth. Uh, I really wish that they experimented more with the opener, learned the ins and outs of it, learned how to handle it, learned uh, the repercussions of which guys could open, you know, all that kind of stuff. They only did it in earnest once, didn't work out. And when you look at the way the Yankees did it, the Rays did it, the A's did it, uh, it's a good thing to have in your back pocket should you run out of starters. Um, that's really, nobody plans to have the opener, but uh, sometimes circumstances force it, and it's a nice thing to learn how to use when you don't need every single win. And I think that's an opportunity the White Sox missed. Hopefully they have six, seven starters over the course of the season who have to do bulk of the heavy lifting, but if that doesn't happen, then that might be one way they struggle, or one way they struggle to get those uh, extra wins. For me, I think it's just stay healthy because they cannot have – they cannot afford to lose Tim Anderson for a month like they did last season. And they cannot afford to lose Aloy Jimenez for two or three weeks twice in a season and then lose Yohan Makata for what was it, two and a half, three weeks uh, during a stretch of the 2019 season. If you want the White Sox to make the postseason – they need their players to avoid the injured list as much as possible. And really, that is an impossible ask to make of any baseball team, especially a marathon that is the 162-game season. But if they can get all of the starting position players to play more than 140 games this year and avoid major injury... And if you can get three or four of your starting pitchers to pitch, or I should say start 30-plus games, 
maybe, maybe that's where the White Sox make up the gap between the Minnesota Twins and Cleveland Indians. If those teams get bit by the injury bug, then health becomes uh, health is on your side. And if your best players play more frequently than the other team's best players, you're going to end up winning a lot more games, even though the other teams may have more talent on their rosters, they're just not on the field to be able to produce. So I think if you're looking for on the margins, extra wins, it's really down to, can the White Sox do a much better job, especially in preparation during spring training for the upcoming season, keeping those guys healthy. Cause if, if they run into the issue again, where Makata misses a month and Aloy Jimenez misses a month of the season, then it may even be a struggle for them to finish above 500 Jim. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And and that's something Rick Renteria can do. And I think he's been fairly good at it. There are some weird things with uh, Avi Garcia a couple of years ago and Yohan Makata last year with his back uh, to where it seemed like they should have put him on the DL and they didn't. But I think he's been pretty good and keeps pretty good in line of communication with his players about uh, injuries and availability. I think he's been really good with his bullpen about that. But that's something he can do is just try not to run guys out there when they're healthy, uh, when they're not uh even like say 90% because uh, you know some players may never be 100% for much of the season, uh, just not making bad situations worse. Well, Trooper, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. Greatly appreciated. Next Monday is going to be a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. We will be recapping all the events that happen at Sox Fest, which is going to be this upcoming weekend. Hopefully we'll have some audio from the event that we'll share on the podcast, but that will mean that we'll open up the Patreon, uh, as I should say, the P.O. Sox mailbag to not only our Patreon supporters, but also receive questions via Twitter as well. So if you do have Twitter, you could follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine, where all of our stories and any news that we receive from Sox Fest, you could be able to follow along this upcoming weekend on Twitter at Sox Machine. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you so much for our guest to join us, Connor McKnight of Bernstein and McKnight on 670 The Score. Always a great time chatting with Connor and hopefully you guys enjoy that conversation as well. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show in a number of ways. One is through Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.